Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to production designer Kurt Beach about his work on Only Murders in the Building. Beach is a five-time ADG nominee and Satellite Award winner. His past projects include Black Klansman, Lincoln, The Help, The Social Network, and Star Trek. And during our chat, I found out what Spike Lee gave Beach after rapping Black Klansman, the difficulties and advantages of working on only murders in the building during COVID, and what to expect from the highly anticipated Till. But I also just wanted to go back in time just very quickly because a movie very near and dear to my heart, Black Klansman, um, was written by my college professor, um, Kevin Wilmot. And I just- Oh, wow. But, uh, you guys were able to do with that film. It was just, that was one of my favorite of that year. And I just, I have to sort of applaud you. I mean, it's, it was just, uh, it was such a transformative movie and I, I absolutely love what you guys were able to do. Thank you. I, I, uh, I'm very proud of that film. There's a couple of things I've done in, in my career that I'm like, that I'm really unabashedly proud of, proud of and that that's definitely one of them. It's mm-hmm. uh it's special. I have a, the only movie poster I have in my house is a Black Klansman poster that Spike signed and he just wrote to Kurt history, Spike Lee. Ah, oh, I love that. And it's great because I think it is an historic film. I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna age very well. And I think it's really important and we don't get to do this often. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, any chance to work with Spike Lee, but especially on that one, um, I mean, that I mean, that's a that's a bucket list item for sure. Spike's also the only time I've ever done a season two of a show, uh. and that's because I knew that Spike was gonna do be was gonna be directing all of the episodes of season two of She's Got a Habit, Got and it. Uh, so I signed up immediately. I was like, if Spike's doing it, I'm in. Um, now the exception is only murders. I absolutely would have come back and done season two if the dates had worked out <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's so good. Um, but the dates were not, were not working. So I couldn't do it. Which sucks. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, from everything that I've been able to read, um, preparing for this interview, I mean, it just, I mean, it just, it sounds so special in terms of like what you were able to create and just sort of the level of detail that you were. Um, but I'm curious first, I mean, how did you, how did you hear about the project? I mean, what, how did it all sort of come to be and fall in your lap? So I heard about the project through fairly standard channels coming out of, you know, pandemic lockdown. There were a few projects that, um, that popped up and this one, seemed a really good idea because the three actors who were starring all were in high risk categories, um, you know, from COVID. So I knew that it would be a safe environment to work in. And that was my first concern coming out of, you know, the lockdown. And then I read the scripts and I was like, this is hilarious. And I have to do, you know, I have to get involved in this. So at first it was as mainly safety concerns. And then I was like, oh, but this is brilliant. And it's Steve Martin. Um, 
and John Hoffman, who are brilliant as well. And um, and so I pitched it, and um, and uh, luckily I got the job. Mm -hmm. And I mean, going into the COVID aspect of it, you said in previous interviews that it actually worked out to your advantage. Can you um, sort of dive deeper into that? Yeah, I mean, because we had to control the environments that we we're working in, we got to build more than you might usually build for a half hour comedy. Um, so the, you know, all three apartments and the big hallway and little pieces of, of uh, the Arconia all became built sets where some of them might've been locations. So um, in that regard, it was great because we had complete control over the environments and and how we designed them um, and then we had a we that was two stages worth of scenery and then we had a whole third space that we used for for a lot of other things as well so we had you know um, we had at least two three four different apartments on another stage as well that we flipped and used differently for for different episodes mm -hmm. um, so it was it was kind of a blessing in disguise in, in terms of the design process. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, a lot of sort of issues that pop up in uh, 30 minute sitcoms is that, I mean, the lived in effect doesn't always happen. I mean, it's kind of just staged and just there, but with you and this project, it really is lived in and it looks very, of each person's personality. Can you go into how you sort of sculpted each of these rooms and uh, apartments to sort of give it their own flair and life? Yeah, uh, this is mainly the achievement of Rich Murray, the set decorator and his team. Um, we talked about trying to give a really clear history to each of these characters. Um, and I think we did a really nice job of that through, throughout. Um, but in the three main characters in particular, if you, let's start with Oliver, for example. Um, in his place, we had a very simple rule. If it wasn't dramatic, it had to go. Um, so everything in there is part of his, past uh, successes and failures are are all over his walls. Um, we also assumed and sort of leaned into the idea that everything in his apartment was probably stolen from one production or another as it you know went out the door. Um, and and then there were lots and lots of little touches that were everywhere in that apartment. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Like uh, the day, one of the days before we were going to shoot in his place for the first time, I, I walked onto the set and there were 20, 30 teacups spread throughout the apartment with the tea, with like spent tea bags in them and little bits of tea. And walked up to Rich and I, I was like, what is up with all the tea bags and all the tea cups? And he's like, well, here's the idea that 
Oliver is so scatterbrained and so busy and so, you know, all over the place and ADD that, you know, he, he, he makes a cup of tea and he goes in and he sets it down he has some of it and then he loses it in the mess. And then rather than find it, he just goes back and makes another one and the whole process starts again. He doesn't clean up after himself very much. You know, he's living on his own. Um, all the food in his place, uh, they say in the script, and this is, you know, one of the great things is that so many questions and answers were in the script is, you know, that he makes everything by, it's either a dip or he just adds water. So that's a detail that we're able to latch on to and we're able to, you know, pick foods that work that way. And, you know, if you opened his cupboards, it was only that kind of stuff. Very simple, very easy to make, very quick. Um, and then, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, the stage in his place was one of the first things that we, that, that we put in the design of the space. And we just imagined that he would have these late night, very boozy affairs in his apartment with Broadway, off-Broadway actors, actresses, directors, friends. And the piano would eventually, you know, someone would eventually sit down at the piano and they'd start playing and singing and dancing and you need a stage to do that. So we put the stage in his apartment and we added theatrical lights as well and um, told a whole, you know, a whole history with that. Um, in his dining room, there's a whole another story that we made up ourselves about his father possibly being an opera impresario. And to show that, we took a uh, we took an etching of the La Scala Opera House, and we turned it into a wallpaper. And that's what all the wallpaper in there is is this opera house etching that that we we painted and then repeated and, and hung on the walls. The idea being that when Oliver is presenting his shows, he is on stage himself. And so, so that whole room became sort of a theater in the round where, where Oliver would, would present and, and pitch his, his jobs uh, to, to backers. Um, all this was, was really, fun to come up with and to to bounce off of the writers and and John Hoffman in particular and and try and try and create this history for for these characters um you want to go over to to Charles's place it's um I had done a completely different take on this sort of ripped from the 1990s and that's what I originally pitched for this project um, and for his apartment. But we scrapped it. And at first I was, I was really bummed. But then when we looked at it further, it, it, made, it made sense that we got rid of it because it sort of, it, became, it told the story of him in kind of arrested development. You know, it was like, this was the end. This was the end of where he made his money, where he, where he designed his place, and it became kind of sad. And there, there is a sad history to each of these characters, but this was a little too sad for the spirit of the show. 
So instead, we came up with um, a playful sophistication for his place. And those were the words that we, that we stuck to with him. Um, and by updating his apartment, that allowed us to tell the story of someone who's a shrewd investor, um, smart with his money that he made on this you know, successful TV show. Um, and you know, a, a, a man with an eye, with a good eye, similar to Steve, who has a, a very good eye for art and design. Um, so we transferred that over to Charles. We gave him some very nice pieces of art in his apartment that tell of his taste and level of sophistication. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the choices in there came from, from Steve himself. Um, some of his favorite designers are represented in the apartment. Um, and the art was something that we talked about a lot in there as well, trying to get the right pieces by the right artists. Um, so, you know, I'll give you an example there as well. The, there's a piece by Ed Ruscher in the kitchen. It says nice hot vegetables on it. And it's a piece today that would sell for six digits, um, which is really great. Uh, it's not something that he could sell and retire on, um, but it is of value. And the idea for this, the story that we made up was that he met Ed Ruscher at a party in the late 80s, early 90s, when he was in LA shooting his show at some point. And they became friends. He invited him to his studio and he picked out a piece and he bought it for peanuts. And now it is appreciated in value. And what that does is that tells us a whole, a whole backstory of how smart he is, what a good eye he has. And um, nobody knows this story except well, you and me know it now, but you know, we just made this up in order to justify the piece on the wall and to give it, and to give it some resonance within, within the apartment. Um, so we do this all the time, trying to, to give it depth. And I think that's what makes the sets look so well considered is because we're making these things up you know, all along um, and creating story in the visuals. That's that's the game. That's the whole production design game is creating story visually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love the anecdote that you gave about the, um, the, the suspect with the, all of the cats and using real cat hair. I think that, I mean, that in and of itself speaks to the detail that you guys are going to. And um, that's really special that you just don't always um, get all the time, uh, especially today. Yeah, you have to you have to check on allergies before you do that. But yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like Spike Spike Lee is horribly allergic to, to cats. So any place we went into with cats, we would have to, you know, we couldn't use that location. So, yeah, <laughs> he would have died in that apartment. But you have to check with other people. Yeah, uh, and I mean, what were I mean. What were some of the other challenges that um, you had to face on this project that weren't typical of past ones? Other challenges. Um, I think on a, on a show like this, it's, it's 
sort of scenically it's death by a thousand cuts you've got so many sets in each episode coming at you um and this is a this was you know because of covid we had to do all of those on stage or most of them on stage like going to a restaurant during you know lockdown super easy a bar super easy because all that stuff was closed going into people's apartments nearly impossible like mm -hmm. no would would you have wanted 150 people descending on your apartment in you know summer of 20 and <laughs> fall of 2020 no no yeah <laughs> nobody wants to see so um all those sets all those like environments had to come back to stage so it was a matter of flipping you know for example the the basement where ursula was became the tattoo parlor and became um like three other things in the process it, it just kept kept getting reworked and reworked um and sting's apartment was also tim kono's apartment and later became a funeral home you know so so all this stuff gets flipped and and reconsidered and rethought so that on our schedule had to happen even faster than usual sometimes you do one of those per episode of a half hour of a half hour piece where we were doing you know three or four mm. each episode yeah um, so it's just the nature of, of what we were dealing with at that particular time yeah uh, it's getting better but it's still you know it's still a challenge yeah i like to call that multi-purposing so you <laughs> especially in covid you have to multi-purpose a few things so yeah and that became its own like its own special challenge for us and we tried to do that better than we've ever done that before and try to disguise the different sets from looking from one looking like one another and that's that's hard to do um the nice thing about working within the arconia is that some of the bones are the same from apartment to apartment to apartment and you can get away with a little bit like one foyer looks a lot like another foyer um, so we were able to change those over quite a bit for different characters, which was really nice. Um, and uh, anytime we took a peek into someone's foyer, it was just two different spaces. Um, and we had just, we just flipped it and changed it. So. Yeah. And I mean, what, what made this project so special for you? Um, I think it's the writing that made it special. It was, the writing was so rich and easy to work with, you know, it's easy to latch onto. And that's really nice when, when you have something that, that gives you a lot of the information that you need character wise to feed the visual that you're creating. Um, that was really that was really great and the team the team was operating uh at the highest level i've seen um because of the fear of the moment <laughs> you know and all the other hoops that we had to jump through everyone really had to be on their toes for everything and 
because if we had lost people, we would have really been in trouble if, if people had gone down to COVID. And, and fortunately, we didn't have a lot of that. We really, we were really careful and, and everyone did a great job getting through it. So it's also, you know, I've reached a point in my career where I will only work with nice people. And uh, this is nice people, really, really nice people across the board. Oh, yeah. And that makes, it, that makes it all so much, so much more pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then final question for you. Um, you have a hotly anticipated movie coming out um, in a few months. Tell, can you say anything about that upcoming project? Yeah, I, uh, I recently went to a color timing session with the, with the director of photography, with the cinematographer, Bobby Bukowski. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Danielle Deadweiler, who plays Mamie Till, is going to be, she, I mean, she is, a, she is already getting well known. She's going to be a gigantic star after this film because she is absolutely incredible. She is the, she is the heart of the film. Um, and every second the camera's on her is just, is, is amazing because she's such a great actor. It's, it's such a pleasure to watch her um, deal with really, really, really difficult material. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was a, it was a tough, really tough show to make because of the subject matter. Um, but uh, it's really special. It's another one of those that doesn't, doesn't come around very often. And uh, I'm very excited to see the whole thing cut together. Um, things that I was not sure about when we were making it. Um, I've, I've been told it's all incredible. <laughs> so so um, I'm excited. I'm just, I'm just incredibly excited to see it. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm, I'm psyched to see it. I, I know that's maybe not the right word to use, but I, I, I'm- Yeah, it, I know what you mean. It's, uh, it's gonna be a difficult, thing to sit through to watch but i i think if we don't do movies like this and if we don't remind people about this then we're in much bigger trouble um there are people i met during the filming of this who had no idea who emma till was um and i think that can happen thank you all for listening this episode was edited and produced by me jackson vickery Graphics were done by Dylan Michael, and the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.